following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, August 9th, 2020, on the basis of Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Just because you put a certain price tag on something doesn't mean that's what that thing is actually worth. This past summer, our our family bought a new house here in Mount Horeb, which means that for quite some time prior to that, we had been keeping our eye on the housing market here in Mount Horeb. And it's interesting to see how one person can put their house on the market, attach a, a specific asking price to that house, and it can sell almost in the blink of an eye. But then someone else can also list their house, put a specific price on that house, and it can just sit and sit and sit and sit. Just because you put a price tag on something doesn't mean that's what that thing is actually worth. And I think that's true in just about every area of life. It's true with real estate. It's true with automobiles. It's true if you're shopping for new furniture or even buying some food. I think this connection between what something costs and what it is actually worth is true in just about every area of life except one. Except when it comes to art. When it comes to art, it seems like you take all the rules and you just throw them out the window, and instead you end up with situations like this. So this is a painting that's called Interchange. It was painted by a, a Dutch artist by the name of Willem de Kooning, and it has the distinction of being the most expensive piece of abstract art that has ever been sold in history. It was bought in 2015 for $300 million. I don't know about you, but I don't get it. Maybe I'm just not quite sophisticated enough. I'm not sure. That could well be the case. But to me, it seems like just one of of maybe many examples in the world of art, how you can just put any price tag you want on just about anything, and suddenly that's what that thing is going to be worth, and maybe even someone will be willing to pay that price. And we might be tempted to think that that sort of thing might be going on in the verses that are in front of us this morning. These verses come at the very end of a chapter in which Jesus has been telling his followers all about his kingdom and all using parables. He's been bringing these heavenly riches down to earth. He has been hiding these heavenly riches in very simple and ordinary terms in order to reveal them to his followers. And now Jesus is ready to close the deal. Jesus wants some buy-in. And so he tells his followers exactly how much his kingdom and its blessings are worth. He tells them the price that they should be willing to pay. But does that make it true? How do we know that Jesus' kingdom and the blessings that come with it are not just one of many nice things that we might have in our life, sort of like a painting that maybe goes over our mantle in our home. How do we know that Jesus' kingdom is the one thing that we absolutely have to have in our lives and the thing for which, as Jesus suggests, we should be willing to sacrifice anything and everything in order to have? 
Those are the questions that we're forced to wrestle with this morning as we look at these verses, because in these verses we see that Jesus takes his kingdom and he puts it on the market. Now, it's very fitting that the very same way in which Jesus told his disciples all about his kingdom is also the way in which he told them about its worth. He used parables. So Jesus says that his kingdom is like a treasure that is hidden, buried in a field. And when a man unexpectedly stumbles upon it, he realizes how valuable it is. And so he goes out and he sells everything that he has just so that he can buy it. Jesus goes on to say that his kingdom is like a man who is a merchant, someone who deals in fine pearls. And even though he's seen lots of pearls of lots of value, when he finds this one pearl, he realizes how valuable it is. He sells everything else that he has just in order to have it. So that's what the worth of Jesus' kingdom looks like in story form. What does that look like in real life? Does Jesus actually want us to go out and sell every single thing that we have in order to have his kingdom? Well, believe it or not, that might actually be the easy way out. What Jesus actually wants us to do might even be a little bit harder than that. Jesus' desire for us is that anytime his kingdom and something else in our life would sort of come into conflict with one another, where we would realize that there isn't room in our life for both Jesus' kingdom and whatever else it might be. Jesus wants us to make room for his kingdom, even if that means that the other thing needs to go. So, for example, Jesus wants us as Christians, as a family of believers, to gather together around his word, to gather together around the meal that he has prepared, to encourage one another with the words that we speak and the songs that we sing to love and care and support one another. Oh, but on Sunday mornings, there's, there's often sleep <laughs> that we sure could use, and there are sports going on, and there are Sundays on the lake, and sitting on the couch watching football in the fall. Well, we'll see at least. And if both of those don't fit, it means one of them obviously has to go. Jesus also wants us to spend time in his word, not just together, but individually and with our families. He wants us to spend time in his word and in prayer with him. Boy, but between work and school and the kids and the chores, at the end of another long day, sometimes you just want to sit down and relax. And if they both don't fit, one of them has to go. Jesus also wants us to take a percentage, a generous percentage of everything that he's given to us and use it to support the spread of the gospel, both here in our community and all over the world. Well, but there are all the dinners out that we want to have and the vacations and the new furniture and the latest upgrade on our phone plan and everything else under the sun that we can think of. And if, if all of that doesn't fit, then again, something has to go. Do you see how it might actually be easier to just, to just sell everything that we have once and for all and get it over with? These are the difficult daily decisions that Jesus asks us to make. And so it's no wonder why we might try and bargain with him a little bit, why we might try and negotiate a little bit. For example, we might say, boy, I know it's important to be in God's word, but sometimes being in God's word, well, it just isn't all that exciting or entertaining. 
I mean, sitting down and, and binge watching five hours of your favorite Netflix show, that's, that's easy. Sometimes you even do that in spite of the fact that you know you shouldn't. But taking even 15 minutes each and every day to spend time with God, that's, that's hard work. And then on top of that, spending time with God also means spending time with God's people. People who are different from you, people who have different interests and different personalities, people who cheer for that other team, <gasps> people who voted for that other guy, <gasps> people whose behavior sometimes just really gets on your nerves. But notice how Jesus told that first parable. When the man found the treasure, it was hidden in a field. And if he wanted to have the treasure, he couldn't just buy it. He had to buy the entire field that went along with it. Acres and acres of land that probably didn't seem like they were worth a whole lot. So Jesus knows that having his kingdom means getting a lot of other stuff too. And so we can bargain with him all we want, but Jesus still insists that his kingdom is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing everything else for. Or maybe we try and negotiate with Jesus like this. Sure, I can see that Jesus' kingdom has some value. It has some nice features to it. But boy, at that price, I just don't know. So maybe I can find some of the same features, some of the same perks elsewhere. Maybe I can look elsewhere for a sense of meaning and purpose in my life. Maybe I can find a, a good moral grounding for myself and my children, a good sense of self-worth and self-fulfillment in other places without having to pay that steep price that Jesus wants us to pay. Well, notice how Jesus tells that second parable. This merchant who deals in fine pearls, it's not as if he had never seen a pearl before. He had seen a lot of pearls, each with a distinct value of their own. But when he finds this one, he realizes how valuable it is, far more valuable than any other he had ever seen. And so he's willing to sell everything in order to have it. We can negotiate, we can bargain all we want, but Jesus will not budge. When Jesus puts his kingdom on the market, he sets the value. He tells us that it is a priceless treasure that is worth sacrificing everything else that we have in order to get it. But again, does that make it true? Remember what I, I said before, that just because you put a price tag on something doesn't mean that's what that thing is actually worth. So Jesus can tell us that his kingdom is this priceless treasure. He can tell us that it's worth sacrificing everything else in our life for. But, but how do we know that if we take him up on that offer, we aren't going to be disappointed? That we aren't at some point going to experience buyer's remorse? Well, thankfully, Jesus has two more parables to tell. He goes on to say that his, his kingdom is sort of like a net that a fisherman would let down into a lake in order to catch some fish. It sort of seems like a strange turn of events. Jesus has said that his kingdom is like a, a priceless treasure. It's like a priceless pearl, but now it's like a, a net. I'm no expert in fishing, but... I know at least enough to know that when you go fishing, the prize that you are after, the thing that you are willing to work for and even sacrifice for, is not the net, it's the fish. In fact, last weekend we were on vacation with some friends, and, and every morning the kids wanted to go out and do a little bit of fishing. And so I watched 
as kid after kid stood at the end of the pier and threw cast after cast right into the middle of this big bed of lily pads. On the rare occasion that I do go fishing, that's not how I do it. The thought of getting snagged, the thought of snapping a line, the thought of losing a lure. I like to stay as, as clear away from the weeds as I possibly can. But for those kids, the thought that there might even be one fish in, in that water made them willing to cast their line absolutely wherever it would take. Well, Jesus says that his kingdom is not even just like one individual line. It's like a, a net. And so not only are you willing to cast it wherever it needs to go, but, but you're willing to drag in whatever that net happens to catch. Yes, it might bring in some good fish, but as Jesus points out, it might bring in some really small ones, some fish that aren't very good for eating. Who knows what else might be swept up and, and caught in that net, and yet the fisherman is willing to drag it all in, all in the hopes that he might have the prize that he seeks. Jesus' final parable is really making the same point. He says, picture a homeowner who has some guests over for dinner. And this homeowner's fridge and his pantry, they're absolutely stocked. Aged meats and cheeses and wines, fresh seafood and produce. And when these guests sit down for dinner, he doesn't think to himself, boy, I don't know if these people are worth it. Maybe I'll just serve some leftovers. No, he goes into the kitchen, he goes into the pantry and the fridge, and he, he does exactly what the fisherman does. He just starts casting stuff out. He starts throwing stuff onto the table, piling it high, allowing his guests to eat and eat and eat until it hurts. The point of both of those parables is exactly the same, that Jesus takes these precious, priceless treasures, and he treats them almost as if they are worthless. He is willing to cast them absolutely anywhere. He is willing to throw them absolutely everywhere to each and to all. He is willing to distribute them freely, to treat them almost as if they are worth nothing to him. And at the same time, then he treats us, the fish that he is trying to catch, the people whose hunger he is trying to satisfy. He treats us as his real prized possession. And that's what makes Jesus' kingdom unique. That's what makes it so valuable. That's what makes it worth the price tag Jesus puts on it. In fact, maybe that even explains what happens so often in the world of art. Why would someone be willing to pay $300 million for something that looks like that? Maybe it's as simple as this. Because they can in fact, since this painting called Interchange was first painted back in 1955, there have been four people who have owned it. The first one was the founder of the largest family-owned department store chain in the entire country at the time. The second was a very wealthy Japanese art collector. The third one was a music industry mogul whose record label boasted clients like Bob Dylan and Elton John. And the fourth one, the guy who bought it in 2015 for $300 million, he's a billionaire hedge fund manager who lives down in Chicago. That's what happens when you take something that, that kind of seems worthless 
and you attach this exorbitant price to it. The result is that it becomes available and accessible only to a very small group and an elite group at that. And so what if Jesus dealt with us the same way? What if he took these precious, priceless treasures of his kingdom and he made them available only to the wealthy or only to the well-educated, only to the movers and the shakers, the powerful and the famous? Or what if he based their availability on people's morality? What if he took the worth of his kingdom and he, he sort of used it as a test? Let's see who's really all in. Let's see who's committed. Let's see who's willing to sacrifice whatever needs to be sacrificed. Let's see who's really going to put my kingdom first, even when their favorite team is playing, even when they're tired, even when they're busy, even when they have other things going on, even when they don't feel like it. Let's see who's really all that committed. And then the treasures of my kingdom will only av be available to people who pass that test. Would you pass that test? I sure know I wouldn't. So thank heavens, Jesus does it in just the opposite way. He takes those precious, priceless treasures and he casts them about almost as if they are worth nothing to him. And then instead he treats us as if we are the prize. He makes us the prize that he so desperately seeks. And how can he do that? Well, because the price for those precious heavenly treasures has already been paid. It's already been paid by him. Jesus has done perfectly exactly what he describes in these verses. He has passed this test for us. He is the one who was willing to sell absolutely everything just in order to have us. He was willing to give up his life in order that he might have us as his prize. And so, yes, it remains true that just because you put a price tag on something, it doesn't mean that's what that thing is actually worth. But thankfully, when Jesus puts his kingdom on the market, he doesn't just set its value, he also proves its value. Which means that any time you would take him up on that offer, you can rest assured that you won't be disappointed. One of the things that's interesting about keeping your eye on the housing market is not only that you can see and look around for the house that you might be interested in buying, but you can see some of the other houses that are out there for sale. And boy, are there some houses out there. This one that's located between Mount Horeb and Verona might be my favorite. It's sort of a, a European-style manner of sorts. Beautiful home, lovely kitchen, basement bar area, home theater, exercise room, indoor pool, surrounded by 20 acres of beautiful countryside. And it is on the market. It can be yours for just $1.7 million. Now let's imagine for a second that it were actually listed at some ridiculous price, a fraction of its worth, let's just say 500,000. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that that would still be well out of my price range. And yet, I think I might try and make it work. I think I'd figure it out. I think I'd be willing to do just about anything. In fact, I'd be willing to sell just about anything 
In fact, I'd probably be willing to sell my firstborn, well, maybe not quite that far, but to get that house for that price, you'd be willing to do just about anything, even if you got it for no other reason than to turn around and sell it at an immense profit. So yes, Jesus sets the value of his kingdom. He says it's a precious, priceless treasure. He tells us to be willing to give up absolutely anything in order to have it, but he doesn't just set its value, he also proves its value. Which means that anytime you would take him up on that offer, anytime you would make a sacrifice in order to have Jesus' kingdom, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful that sacrifice might be, not only can you be assured that you will not be disappointed once you've completed that transaction, once you've seen what you get in exchange for what you pay, you will be convinced that you were the one who got the incredible deal. Amen. Amen. 